Welcome to Real Talk of Real Life. This is your host, Ryan Riggs, again. Today we have a another very special guest. This is Tracy Talley-Gro. She is a mother of, had a son that lost his life due to substance use disorder. Uh, we have developed a relationship over a few years. Her son was actually in the heart program when it first started and uh, got out and was doing very well and um, unfortunately lost his life to the disease of addiction. But she has really become a strong advocate, has begun creating a lot of resources for family members that are going through the same thing as she has uh, in, here locally in the area. And, um, you know, I thought it would be great to have her on today to talk about, you know, her experience and, um, you know, how, uh, how she's used that experience uh, to, to turn it into something positive. So um, thank you for being here, Tracy. Thank you, Ryan, for having me. All right. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and, you know, tell everybody a little bit about, you know, who you are. Yes, thank you. Well, my name is Tracy Talley Grow, and I am founder and facilitator of Grapple, G-R-A-P-L-E, which is a grief and loss recovery group for anyone that's lost someone to substance use disorder or addiction. Um, the way that that group came about was obviously I lost my son um, to a heroin overdose on October 21st, 2016. Okay, and um, how long had you been going through the stuff that you went through with, with Taylor, and what was that experience like for you? Well, Taylor suffered from substance use disorder, I would say, for about three years before he actually passed away. Um, the heroin addiction was obviously what took his life. Um, it began with prescription painkillers when he broke his toe, and that was in 2014 in the fall. Um, he was prescribed opioids to, you know, take care of the pain, and that quickly, that, that actual, that prescription was written for like a month, so it was a very large bottle of oxycodone, and within two weeks, um, you know, he had gone through a month's prescription, and um, I wasn't, he wasn't living with me at the time, I wasn't aware of the problem um, until about a month after when I went to check on him, and I asked how he was doing, and I could tell that he was not doing very well. His toe was healed, but he just wasn't the same tailor. So he did um, eventually seek recovery um, in 2015 and came to the McShin Foundation. Um, he could maybe go a few months with recovery and would relapse. Um, he actually overdosed four times during his recovery. It wasn't until March of 2016 when, at that point, he was in active addiction. He was using heroin daily to not get sick. He was actually homeless and living in the back of a 18-wheeler off of Commerce Street. Um, and we kept in touch, um, but he couldn't live with us or you know our family members uh, because we knew he was actively using, and it was a very difficult time for our family. Um, it was. I would say, you know, I was there for him as much as I could be, but I was an active member in Families Anonymous. And with my program through Families Anonymous, I knew how not to enable but to show him that I loved him. But all I could do was offer him a warm meal, um, maybe wash a few clothes or bring him a sleeping bag. And that was really a very difficult time for me as a mother to see my child homeless and to know that that's all I could do for him because he wasn't ready to seek help. 
Um, that March, he was involved in some criminal activity and was arrested for such and was sent to jail. And um, they did find paraphernalia on him that day, and they took him to jail. And, you know, I knew that he had been using daily, and he actually detoxed in jail. He was very angry. He was very much in denial that he had a problem. And within a week to 10 days of him being in Chesterfield County Jail, the heart program began. And he was able to be one of the first guys in, in that, that movement. And actually, the heart program was the first time that I was actually able to see my son clean in over two years. So it was, it was a good time um, for me to see him get clean. So I remember, you know, Taylor, you know, I remember he got out of harp and uh, things kind of went the way they went. And uh, and I know at the time that, you know, when he passed away, you know, it was kind of so in recovery. It's, I'm just speaking from personal terms. You know, it's when people are actively using and they pass away, it's kind of not really a shock. That's just for me personally, right. because we see it so much in the community here. But I think with Taylor, it was uh, it was so sudden, you know. It was like he was doing well, he was working, he was, you know, in a relationship, and um, you know, from the outside, it all looked like everything was okay, you know. And uh, absolutely, um, it was a big shock, you know. Actually, a month before he passed away, we celebrated his six month sober date and had a party at a local Mexican restaurant, and um, we we celebrated his recovery, and he was doing very well, and there were no indicators. Um, he did, you know, decide to get, enter into an intimate relationship and got a girlfriend. Um, and, you know, maybe they had been dating a few weeks. So, And I think one of the other questions I wanted to ask you, because I thought it was interesting, the term that you used was, you know, you said he overdosed a couple times in his recovery. And I like that because I think that historically we think that relapse is aside from or not a part of um, recovery, you know, and so people often think that when somebody's using that there's no way they can be using and actually be in recovery at the same time, though we know, you know, through our, you know, I know from my personal journey, I, I began in recovery in 2006, um, and, you know, I had some falls, but ultimately I was making an effort to the best of my ability at those times to try to move forward, so... Um, yeah, I do. I do believe, even though there were several relapses in a short period of time, but he was still seeking recovery. I believe, and I know from being with him, um, you know, during his recovery journey, that he did really want recovery, and especially, you know, being in jail. You know, they don't have access to drugs. They're not outside in the in the, you know, day to day environment, and so I felt like he was in a safe place and. When he was released, he was released on a PR bond um, to a recovery organization, which was McShin, and he was positive and was really looking forward to all the good things that were about to happen in his recovery. So his fifth and final overdose was a very much of a shock to us. Um, we did think that he was doing so well. There were no indicators. Um, he had a job, you know, he was commuting to and from work on his own without any help. He was either riding a bike or, you know, walking. Um, it seemed like everything was going very, very well. He was attending meetings. He had a home group, lived in a recovery home, and had lots of people in the community around him that um, he could have reached out to. And so in October, that day in October, I remember being at the hospital. Um, gosh, it was just such a heart-wrenching 
It was a hard day. And I think with um, the the notice that we got, obviously, it was a shock. And it, you know, I did. it was the last call I expected to receive, even though I had received them before. I really didn't expect it to happen. And when it did, um, I, I almost felt like, okay, well, here we go again. You know, he's going to recover. He's going to be okay. And when I arrived at the hospital, um, they wouldn't let me back to see him. I had to meet with a, a uh, doctor in charge that night and a detective from Henrico County Police before I was able to go back and see my son. And I was so anxious to see him, thinking that I would just see him alive and awake, but probably in a hospital bed with some IVs. But what they needed to meet with me with was to prepare me for what I was about to see. And they wanted to educate me on what life support looked like and to not shock me. And I definitely wasn't prepared for that. I'm glad that they did it. It was irritating. It felt like it took hours before I went back. But when I did, you know, it was a reality check. And to be honest with you, I thought he could still recover and that they could bring him back. And, um, as the days went on, he was actually in the hospital for five days. Um, right at first, you know, the doctors and nurses and the staff in ICU at St. Mary's were saying, you know, we're going to cool him down to stop any brain swelling. Then we're going to slowly warm him up to hopefully bring him back. And, you know, all of the procedures, they did everything that they could to bring him back. And he didn't come back. And that was, you know, a very hard hard reality. Um, one thing that my family was not pleased with is that many, he was, he was known by a lot of people in the recovery community and we had a lot of visitors at the hospital. At any given point from the time we found out to the time we put the news out, there were anywhere from 10 to 30 people in the waiting room or, you know, out in the hallways waiting to go back to see him. And everybody looked to me to to say is this okay and I felt like it was because not to send a message but I felt like he would have wanted everybody there and that maybe maybe in them seeing him like that it would have given them you know a chance to not use themselves or to see what it was doing to our family maybe to set an example I don't know but we all had hope and we had hoped that he would come out but by that Friday he was pronounced brain dead so did that, did the stuff that was going on at the hospital kind of seeing the outpouring of the community? Um, because I know since since Taylor's passed away, we know that you've become, you know, um, very active as an advocate and, you know, support groups and things like that uh, here locally, like you mentioned Grapple before. Um, but it, it, did any of that stuff at the hospital kind of play into, um, you know, your motivation to continue on with the advocacy and the family support absolutely absolutely I realized that you know he affected many people in his life and that everyone that came to see him they were of value as well many were in recovery and um they were they were heartbroken like we were but I know it, it gave it gave me an opportunity to reach out to them and see what I could do to help them if I could to 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 offer love and support um, to encourage them in their recovery. Um, many spoke to me about the stigma associated with the disease of addiction and or seeking help, and that, that angered me greatly. Um, 
I know for my son, it was difficult for him to, to tell me that that was his struggle with, with substance use disorder, that he had, you know, struggled with a heroin addiction. And a lot of people shared that same feeling that they weren't quite sure about seeking recovery or getting the help because they felt like everybody thought that they were not worth it, you know, and that they were looked down upon. And I think what I want Grapple to, um, you know, really embrace is to reduce the stigma of seeking recovery, but also in our grief recovery, in our journey to seek help for ourselves to heal from the loss. We we need we need that communal support and so a support group system where we can openly share, and a lot of people steer clear of that because they're embarrassed or ashamed of how their loved one died, and what I try to bring about is that it doesn't matter the manner of death. What matters is their life and who they were, and the love that we had for them. And it's important for us to process these feelings. Um, I've heard it said before that if you if you don't feel it, you can't heal it. And feelings are a very important part, even the most difficult, painful ones are very important for us to feel in order to process and to heal through them. And even in recovery, um, a lot of people are, are afraid of that emotion, be it pain um, or sadness or grief um, or anger. Any of those emotions are difficult without using a crutch, you know, such as alcohol or drugs to, to cope with those massive emotions, but you can do it with support systems. So aside from Grapple, um, you know, um, and are you still a member of FA, I guess? You still going to FA? Um, I do attend Families Anonymous occasionally, yes, still, because I work with people in the recovery community as a mentor. All right, so, um, you know, I guess the next the next question I'd ask is, um, you know, what are you know what is something that you know probably your most fond memory of your son? Wow. Well, um, when I think about Taylor, I think of so many things and how awesome he was, and he was just a genuinely kind um, person and very very loving, and he gave the best hugs. And he was quite a jokester, so he had the best jokes and would make fun of people in a nice way, of course. But um, one of my fondest memories is when he and I were living together in an apartment that we had gotten. Um, and he um, noticed that there were some children that would, you know, get out of their parents' car and come to their apartment, uh, the apartment building next to us. And we would go outside and sit on the front stoop. And he would always wave to the kids, and um, he was outside uh, bouncing a ball, and I had some Frisbees and different things in the house, and he brought them all out when he saw the kids coming out to their, their car to leave with their parents, and he asked them if they wanted to play, and they didn't speak English. Um, and so he broke through that language barrier somehow and he threw, you know, the little boy, the ball and he caught it and he giggled and he laughed. And then we just kind of, he actually facilitated somehow communicating with the parents and these kids. And that evening there was this impromptu baseball game in our front lawn of our apartment complex with these kids until dark. And from that day on, they would come to our door and knock on the door just to play with him. Um, and, you know, he wasn't working at the time. He was waiting, actually, to go to rehab. And it was just a very tender, fond memory of him because he was that type of person that would reach out to anyone and literally, you know, 
engage with you. You know, if he felt like, he, you know, you needed a little happiness, he would, he would do it. Um, complete strangers, even without knowing the language. Um, it worked out. He was, he was very caring and giving. He really was. You know, I remember just all of our interactions. Was, he was always joyful. He was always happy. Um, you know, uh, not always happy, but he was always uh, comedic. Mm-hmm. You know, he always had a, he had that smile that could just you know, uh, very inviting uh, spirit about him, man. And I, I miss him dearly. Um, you know, but I I, I want to commend you because I know you've been through a lot, um, but I have also watched you turn your struggle into um, something positive. You know, I've watched you. Uh, provide these resources and support for for family members that are kind of going through the same thing as you and I you know I know how uh, integral that is to uh, someone's personal recovery because you know typically we talk about recovery in terms of recovery from substance use disorder um, but you know there's some recovery that needs to take place too in regards to uh, you know the grief of of, of, of losing someone and so absolutely um, you know and, and so what has that looked like for you? Well, um, I, I identify with recovery for me is my grief recovery journey. And my grief recovery journey began the day that Taylor was pronounced dead. And that was October 21st, 2016. So for the past 22 months, I have been in recovery from the grief of losing my son. And um, since that time, I've also lost um, a cousin and a close friend um, to heroin overdoses. And I feel like, for me, you know, there was no other option than to get out of bed and to do something different and to make a difference. Um, When I was seeking help and therapeutic, you know, guidance when I was going through my grief after losing Taylor, I, I couldn't find a group that identified with my type of loss. And I felt isolated and alone. And no matter who I talked to, they just didn't quite understand it. It wasn't the same as losing their grandmother at 98 or losing someone to cancer or even other tragedies such as murder. Um, To lose someone to addiction, um, there is a stigma attached to it. And we suffer with that even in our grief. And a lot of people that are suffering in silence in their grief, you know, it's it's a very sad and lonely place to be and for me I couldn't cope with being alone in it and I knew there must have been other people like me that were suffering as well so that's why I began Grapple and it you know fortunately and unfortunately it's done very well Um, I feel like we've helped a lot of people we obviously offer weekly support groups um, every Tuesday at 7 at the McShin Foundation but I also do one-on-one you know, help with people as well. And, you know, my number, I hope you'll leave as a resource for people. They can call me at any time, day or night. Um, I also work with local um, police chaplains in, in the cases of these tragedies. If they feel like they need backup with someone that's been there, they can contact me and I will arrive on the scene to, to help family members process what they're going through. Well, I want to thank you for everything you're doing. You know, I love you dearly. Thank you. Um, I love you too. You know, thank you for sitting down with me for a few minutes. Um, you know, I think that, you know, part of this, the goal of this podcast that I've been trying to put together is, you know, just to get people's personal stories out there, but also to get a wealth. I think there's so many resources that are available. Um, and all, those of us that are in the recovery community, we, we we don't know about all of them, but we know about the majority of them. But I think that a lot of people, I mean, this epidemic is, is really, um, you know, 
it's beginning to it's unfortunately continuing to grow and there's a lot of people that are coming you know becoming part of our our community mm-hmm. that never have been that don't really know about the resources so I kind of wanted them to know what you do know a little bit about your story and hopefully it'll give somebody some hope um, maybe it can get some people out of uh, you know suffering in silence and, yes. and um, by themselves and uh, you know, I know that, that, that what you've been able to do has helped a lot of people in that area. So once again, thank you. Thank you, Ryan. For coming on. I love you. And uh, maybe we'll do a follow-up. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. Bye. Okay.